That was crazy. They did such a good job. I love this. I'm loving this skit. Are you loving the skits? They are doing such, they are making my job so easy. I just get to come up and talk about what they just showed you. Uh, it's such a good, such a good skit. I'm so glad that they're doing that for us. Um, so let's, let's re, recap where we've been, right? Because, I mean, you guys had, you've, you've had a few crazy nights, right? I mean, you guys, how many of you have been staying up late? Yeah, what's late? Horrible. Okay, I love this. Like, smile on his face. Like, we totally stayed up late. It was horrible. What, at what time did you go to bed? Midnight. Midnight? Okay. One? You only slept for four hours? Wow. Uh, teachers, parents, we, we doing all right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's do a recap because uh, a lot has happened since we, we got together. You, you guys played the night game. You, you had some fun up here with the extreme team. Um, so when we first started, we talked about truth. We talked about how God reveals his truth in three ways. So the first night, God reveals his truth how? Creation. Creation. Good. The second time we got together, we talked the, about God revealing his truth how? Through his word. Good. So creation, his word. And then last night, we talked about him revealing his truth through son. his son. Good. You guys are tracking. I love it. I love that. Okay. So now we get to, we get to talk about... Um, something that's, that's not such a fun topic. We're going to talk about the truth of sin. And so we've, we've, we've seen the revelation that God reveals himself to us through his creation, his word, and his son. And something that that revelation does for us is it shows us exactly who we are. So we're going to dive into the text. We're going to uh, mostly be in John chapter 8, uh, a little bit in John chapter 9. So if you're looking for that in your Bible, that's a great thing. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Father, thank you. Thank you for Hume Lake. Thank you for, your, you for the opportunity to come up here and have a blast as we learn about you and all the ways that you've shown us your truth. So God, as we dive in uh, to your word, I just pray that you would continue to work on the hearts of these students. Lord, that you would continue to show them their need, that it would be so clear. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last night we finished, I asked you a very important question. Do you remember what that question is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? His, his teaching wasn't easy as we walked through the different stories, his uh, he called people to decide who he was. They couldn't just stay in the middle. They had to make a decision. He wasn't popular with everyone. There were a lot of people uh, who wanted to kill him. John 7, 1, we talked about last night. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. It's the, it's the, the Pharisees were, are the dogs that are putting Jesus on trial in, in the skit. And they, they wanted to kill Jesus. They were, they, he, he was a threat to them. He was a threat to their power. He was a threat to, to, to everything that they had built in Israel. But others believed. John seven thirty one says, but many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has. Will he? Over and over last night, we talked about these incredible signs, this, this evidence, right, of who Jesus is. 
That, that one time is a coincidence, but over and over and over again, that's evidence. But it's a lot the same today. Today, some look at the, the life and, and the teachings of Jesus and, and it makes them mad. And some people look at the life of Jesus and, and it makes them uh, hate him or people who, who put their faith in him. But others experience what Jesus has done for them with, with joy. They receive it excitedly. Jesus is often called the Savior. I've, I've talked about G Jesus as the Savior multiple times this week. But the question we're going to ask this morning is, well, if he's the Savior, then what do we need to be saved from? This morning we're going to talk about sin Sin is something that, that we, can, we can see in our lives, even in the life of a preschooler. It, even in the life of, of someone who's four years old. I, I remember when we first moved to Fresno, uh, we, we started at the church, and, and a family from our church invited us to go to Cheesecake Factory with them. Have you ever been to Cheesecake Factory? Okay, so my favorite is the Snickers Cheesecake. If you ever go and you get it, think of me. Uh, it's incredible. But uh, they're like, yeah, just bring the kids. I'm like, bring the kids? The Cheesecake Factory? Do you know what you're asking? They're like, no, we want to meet the whole family. Like, we really want to get to know you. I'm like, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a less than one-year-old. You want them at Cheesecake Factory? They're like, bring them. I'm like, okay. So we get in the car, my wife and I, and we like to do pep talks to our kids. You guys ever have those pep talks? Like, your parents are like, okay, we're going somewhere nice. Don't stand on the table. Don't throw your spaghetti. Like these types of talks. And so uh, we, we have the, this pep talk with, with our kids. And we're like, okay, so we're going to a nice restaurant. I know it's been a long time since you've been to a nice restaurant, like ever. And, and so uh, we need you to be good. And they're like, well, what, is good, what does being good mean? And I, I run down the list. I'm like, okay, well, uh, we don't. We don't spit. We don't make spit noises. We don't throw our food. We don't stand on the table. Uh, hey, uh, one-year-old, we don't cry. She didn't get that. Uh, she's one. And then I'm like, so you, so you get it. Like, you understand. Like, we're asking you to be good. And, you know, my seven-year-old, she's like, we get it. We'll be good. And my four-year-old, this tells you everything you need to know about her. From the back of our third row, in our car, she starts chanting, let's be bad, let's be bad, let's, and her sisters start to pick up, and all of a sudden, I've got a three-year-old chanting, let's be bad, and my one-year-old, she could only say bad, so she's just like, bad, bad, and, and you start to see this, this sin nature, even in a four-year-old, like, we, we asked her, just, just Ken, just be good. And she's like, let's be bad, and some of you get that. That's why you laughed, because you're like, that was, that's how I was when I was a kid. And, and so we, we start to see this, this rebellion inside of us, even at four years old. It wasn't what she did. It was just, it was just in her. It was in her, this desire to, to be bad, to go against the, what, what the, the rules were, what we asked her to do. And we see this rebellion. It's, it's a rebellion that separates us from God. But what does it mean? And what can we do about it? Like, if we're, if we're separated from God, what does it mean for us to be separated from God? And, and if we are separated from God, then, 
then is there anything in our power that we can do about the separation? Those are questions that I want us to talk about to this morning so that we have a, have a good understanding of what it looks like for us to deal with the, the topic of sin. Over here you saw the, the depiction of the story that we're going to read today. Open up to John chapter 8. We're going to read about this woman who, who finds herself caught in a, in a very hard situation. She's surrounded by people who are judging her. And we're going to see how she, how they, and how Jesus handles it. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and, and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the, the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some, chain, some charge to bring against him. So you see the trial happening up here, and, and they're really they're, they're trying to catch Jesus in in, in the act, they're trying to catch him in, some, in something where they can, they can bring charges against him so that they can ultimately do what we talked about in, in chapter 7. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of their problem. If Jesus went away, then they could go back to being the ruling class. Then they could set the rules. They could have the power. They could tell people what they can and can't do. In fact, they can take the place of God's word. That's what they're trying to do. And so in John chapter 8, they bring this woman to Jesus. This woman who, uh, the Bible says that she was caught in the act of adultery. Adultery, she's having an inappropriate relationship with, with a guy. She's having an inappropriate relationship with a guy. Uh, he was likely married to somebody else. And, and so they bring this, this woman uh, to Jesus. And, and I have a few questions that I like to ask of the text. It doesn't really tell us, but I think we can, we can walk through it together. So uh, first, how did they catch her in the act? That's a, that's a private thing. A relationship is a private thing. They, the, these, the, these Pharisees caught her in the act. This reeks of a setup. It, they, they were trying to find ways to set Jesus up, and so they didn't care who was the, the collateral damage, who, who got injured along the way. They just wanted to catch Jesus, and so they seemingly set this up. But the other question is, where's the guy? Where's the, where's the guy? He's, he's nowhere in this story. They bring this woman before Jesus, and they let the guy skate. They let him off without any consequences or anything. This woman who was brought to Jesus, can you put yourself in her situation? Imagine you're at school. Imagine you're at school and you do something against the, the rules of the school and, and everybody knows it. Imagine the principal. Instead of dealing with it in the principal's office, takes you out during lunch. Calls a, you know what, forget about lunch. He calls an assembly. And he says, everybody has to come to this assembly. And you know what, we're not going to sit in the bleachers. We're not going to sit in chairs. We're going to surround this person. We're going to surround you. And I'm going to tell you exactly what this person did wrong. That's what's happening. 
You guys, they're, they're, not, they're not handling sin the way that sin should be handled. They're bringing her story and they're telling her story to a bunch of people. They're gossiping about her story. Can you imagine the humiliation this woman would have felt? She's standing surrounded by other men and the very worst deed she's ever done is put on display for everyone to see. She finds herself in this moment that none of us want to find ourselves in. And, and these men, these Pharisees, they knew God's word. And, and they said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, what are you going to do? Because according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. And when we talk about stoning, what we're talking about is she should be killed, the, the death penalty. She should receive the death penalty for her actions and, and according to the, the letter of the law, they're correct. Deuteronomy 22.22 says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. First of all, uh, I'll point back to the fact that the, the guy's not here anywhere. Um, the man who lay with the woman and, and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. The, this is hard. It would be one thing for me to stand up here and skip the consequences and just go, let's just talk about how Jesus handled it. But there was a, a purpose that God in Deuteronomy had for, for giving us this law. God takes marriage seriously. And he wanted to show us that we ought to take marriage seriously as well. So back to the story. Uh, they're trying to put Jesus in this corner. They're, they're trying to back him into a corner and they're trying to give him no way out. See, if Jesus lets her go, then they're going to accuse him of not holding to God's word. If Jesus just says, you know what, uh, I know you want to stone her, but, but I love her, so we're just going to let her go, then, then they're going to look at Jesus and go, see, you aren't the son of God because, because you couldn't be, because you're looking at, at, at God's word and you're ignoring it. God's son would surely never ignore his own word. But if Jesus allows them to kill her, then the crowd that is following Jesus is going to see him as harsh, as punitive. So what does Jesus do? Well, he bends down. Look at verse 6. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. I wish I could tell you we knew what he wrote. I wish I could tell you what he wrote in the sand, in the dirt, as he, as he confronted these Pharisees. I wish I could tell you the things that he wrote, but the text doesn't tell us. Maybe he wrote the name of the guy that was conveniently missing from the story. Maybe he wrote down their own sins that he knew. Maybe uh, he wrote the names of the, the, the women that they had already had affairs with. We don't, we don't know what he wrote, but it doesn't seem to matter. It took the attention off of this woman, and Jesus did what he does. He cared for everyone who's involved, but, but it doesn't stop the Pharisees. He, he writes, and, and they continue to press him on the question. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, And as they continued to ask him, 
he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And so he looks at the crowd and and he, he realizes that this woman is not without sin. She, she certainly is in opposition to what God wants for her life. He wanted more for her than, than to be caught in adultery. He wanted more for her than to be standing around these men being accused of, of breaking his law. But he knows, because he's God, he knows that each man around her has his own story his own issue of sin. And I love this story because you see three things in this story. You see her sin, it's not minimized. It's not justified. It's real. She is in sin. But you also see everyone's sin. It's not just her. He confidently writes in the dirt. He confidently says, he who is without sin, let them throw the first stone and then the third thing that we're going to see is we're going to see an allusion to Jesus' grace. But whatever he wrote, their response was undeniable. Look at verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. It's interesting that they go away oldest from youngest. I think the older uh, you, you get, the more uh, mature you get, and you start to, to see reason a little bit sooner than some of the younger uh, people. And, and that's, that's amazing because by God's grace, we grow as we get older. We, we see things differently as we get older. But he says a few words that are, are so interesting to me. We, we talked on night one about Jesus. We talked about him being complete truth and complete grace. He, he has this balance of truth and grace perfectly dialed in. That's who he is. It's not just something about him. It's, it's who he is. And, and so he asks a few questions. He says, does no one condemn you? He's pointing out the fact that everyone has left. There's no one here pointing, uh, pointing their finger. She doesn't have to worry about her life. She looks around and she says, does, he says, does no one condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, uh, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't just stop there. I think a lot of us would love it if he would just stop there. I think a lot of churches and a lot of people who go to churches and fill churches on Sunday would love it if he just stopped there. Does no one condemn you? Neither do I. If, if he just stopped there, what that means is you could do whatever you want. That no one should condemn you and neither should God. That, that there's no condemnation uh, out there for sin. You, you can go and you can live your life however you choose, but he doesn't stop there. He wasn't just perfect grace. He's also perfect truth. And he finishes his statement to her and he says, go and from now on, sin no more. He doesn't just say, I forgive you. He says, go and sin no more. I want more for you in your life than what you've been living 
I want you to live in freedom. I want you to live this abundant life. Go and sin no more. It's an incredible moment in all of Scripture. The grace of God on display, but also the truth of God. Go and sin no more. And so we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about this issue of sin. So this woman was caught in sin. What is sin? How many of you guys have done archery class already? Did they talk about sin at all during archery class? So sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. (laughs) I got to tell this story. I wasn't planning on it. Uh, My wife and I came up here for a marriage retreat. Did you guys, when you did archery, did you see the, the, the padding that they put on below? That's because of me. So I, uh, we were at a marriage retreat up here, and we were with some friends, and I was like, you know what, it would be really great. Can we go do some archery? Like, I would love to, to go do some archery. And my wife's like, yeah, let's go shoot some arrows. Like, I'm like, where'd you come from? And so we, we head up to the archery range, and she's like, why don't you go first? And so we kind of all line up on the line, and, and we get ready to shoot our, our arrows. And I pull back, and I shoot. Well, I, I completely missed the mark. I completely missed the target. I hit a metal bar that was below the target, and the arrow came directly back at my wife. Not me, right at her. Like, she had to duck. Like, I'm not kidding. It passed her. Like, it, it could, well, maybe it wasn't going fast, but it, it could have, t- like, killed my wife at a marriage retreat. Like, that's the worst marriage retreat ever. <laughs> and so now they have padding down there. You're welcome. But the point is, I, I missed the mark. And there are two ways that we miss the mark. There are sins of commission. Sins of commission. I'm going to define that. That's uh, when we do stupid things. That's when we do stupid things. That's when well, we wrestle around in chapel when we're supposed to be listening to the message. It's, it's when we, uh, it's when we uh, do stupid things like when I told my wife she was like Shamu. Those are sins of commission. Those are things that we do. But there are also sins of omission. And that's when we don't do what is right. Sin is... If we reduce it down to one thing, sin is when we try to do life without God. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There are two ways we live in this world, in the flesh or in the spirit. There are the only two ways that we live in this world. Apart from Jesus, you can only live in the flesh. You can only displease God. You can only sin. You cannot do good. I know we think, we think that we're good people, and we'll get to that in a, in a little bit, but you cannot do good apart from the Spirit. Or you can live in the Spirit. You can live in the Spirit. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you are in the flesh. But it's not just what we do. It's who we are. Remember my four-year-old? Remember, it was, it was who she was. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as though one man, 
just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are sinner by deeds, but we're also sinner by, a sinner by nature. We're sinner by, by, by having it passed down from, from Adam and from Eve. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. But we have this saying that, well, but I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good kid. I listen to my parents. I do this. Just like the, the dog up here that said, from my birth, I've, I've kept all of the commands. I've, I've done all, obeyed all of the laws. But Isaiah 64 Chapter, or chapter 64, verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us are unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment. Even the, the good stuff about us are like, like filthy rags. And all of us wither like a, a leaf or our iniquities like the wind take us away. So how bad is it? If, if we are sinners and I think through my stories and through Scripture, we've seen that we are all sinners. How bad is it? Well, in Ephesians 2, Paul doesn't pull any punches. He tells us exactly how bad my sin and your sin is. In verse 1 and following, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power, of, of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses. We're not talking about a, a, a minor offense. We're not talking about a kind of wronging God. We're talking about a, an offense that makes us dead in our flesh. Sin impacts us all. Romans 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Nobody is righteous on their own. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I think this helps us understand why we struggle with sin. We have the nature. We're, we all exist as sinful Beings, but what's the consequence of sin? Well, the first consequence is physical death. We see Adam and, and Eve, they were to live together forever in the garden, and then they sin in Genesis 3, and they're kicked out of the garden and, and, and out of God's grace, and eject, they get ejected from the garden. And then in, in Romans 6.23, we see what happened to them. It says the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But death is not the only, the only thing that we see as a consequence of the sin. We also see physical brokenness in our world. We see homelessness. We see illness. We see disease. We see violence and we see war. All of those are a consequence of the fall of man, a consequence of, the, of sin. We also see spiritual death. 
Habakkuk, which is probably a book you've never read before. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? God cannot. He is too pure to approve of evil. He has to be just. And so we have this problem with sin. And the problem is that we try to deal with it on our own. We, we make a movement towards doing what we want to do. We, we seek to do life apart from God. We, we have idolatry. If, if, we just, if, if we can just have the ability to worship who we want and what we want, if we get to the ability to do what we want, if we get to deny sin, then we get to deal with it. And we get to be okay. Sin doesn't exist. But we also make a move towards doing what we should do, a moralism thing. If we can only be good on our own, if we can, if we can live up to all the, the rules, the 413 laws in the Old Testament, if we can be a good kid, if we can, if we can just not do uh, bad things, if we, could, if we could be better than our friends, then maybe we can deal with sin. But none of this gets to the root issue of sin. Sin is heavy. We are all sinners. We all deserve death. And Jesus wants us to do one thing. In John 9, he, he meets this man born blind, and the Pharisees are, are asking, man, what, who sinned, his mother or him? They had, they had this belief that anyone who had any type of disability, it was because of the sin of the, the parents or, or sin of, of the person. And, and so Jesus, he, he says, neither his parents or, or he sinned. And, and it, the, the story continues, and they're, the, the Pharisees are trying to figure out, well, well then, what's the deal? And, and he, he, he heals him. Jesus heals him, the man born blind. And then the Pharisees, after this whole encounter, look at chapter 9, verse 40 and 41. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. When we don't acknowledge the sin in our lives, our sin remains. The first step of dealing with sin is acknowledging sin, is, is looking into yourself, even in, in, a, in a junior high context and going, where, where is the sin in my life? What, how am I personally a, a, a sinner? What does that look like? And as you consider your sin, I want you to remember this because we're going to talk about this in greater detail tonight. In 1 Timothy 2, Verses 5 and 6, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. I want you to leave here knowing there's nothing you can do about your sin. It is hopeless on your own. We are all sinners. We all deserve death. 
But tonight we might be talking about a God who made a way so that even though we can't deal with our sin, he, he will deal with our sin. Let's pray. Father, we are sitting here heavy knowing that we are sinners in so many different ways, not only through our actions, the things that we do that are, are rebellious to you, the way that we relate with our siblings, the way that, that we conduct ourselves online, the way that we handle bullying or, or different things in schools, the way that we listen to our parents. Lord, we are all sinners, all of us. We recognize that the, the weight of sin, the consequences of sin is death. Lord, I just pray that as we come to the recognition of our sins, Lord, that this would be the start of us allowing you to work in our hearts, to do what we couldn't do on our own, and to deal with our sin. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.